Good morning. You know, I stood out in the lobby this morning and I thought, it is so great to be together with people who love to be together. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm here today and I'm really glad that you're here today as well. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're here as well. Matthew Henry, the famous theologian, uh, was famous for keeping a diary. He, he journaled about his day. And one day, in the middle of the day, Matthew Henry was mugged. He got robbed on the street. And that night he wrote in his journal this, and it reminds me of what uh, Daryl was just talking about uh, in his comments. Here's what Matthew Henry wrote. Today I was robbed, and today I'm thankful. I'm thankful, first, that I've never been robbed before today. <laughs> Second, because although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Today, I am thankful. As you already know, Thursday is Thanksgiving. It's the one day out of the year that it's, you know, Americans, we kind of set it aside to say thank you. Thank you to God for all of our blessings. Charles Dickens was uh, touring America once and he made this observation. You Americans take one day out of the year and call it Thanksgiving Day. You have been so blessed that you should declare 364 days of Thanksgiving and set one day aside for griping and complaining. <laughs> but you seem to have it backwards. Some truth to what Charles Dickens said, wasn't there? Maybe even more so today than when he said it. We are in a sermon series where we're looking at some things that Jesus said, some things that maybe were a little bit troubling, maybe a little bit confusing, maybe even disturbing, but Jesus did say it. And then we're also looking at some things that Jesus did not say, even though a lot of people attribute, you know, this particular statement to Jesus. This morning, we are going to take a look at something that Jesus absolutely did say. And I want to use those statements as a springboard as we talk about being grateful this morning. You know, we talk a lot about the prayer life of Jesus. We don't talk nearly as much about the praise life of Jesus. But Jesus spent so much time thanking and praising his Father. Uh, his time on earth wasn't only spent uh, looking toward, toward the joy uh, uh, that was before him, Hebrews 12, but also spent paying attention to the joy that was around him. And I think sometimes that's where we fall short. So I want to jump into our text, and I'm going to tell you right up front, this statement that Jesus made, it is not controversial in any way. It is not confusing. It is not disturbing in any way. It's just really, really encouraging. So here's the statement. He made it in the middle of a pretty famous sermon. Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus says, 
if you think God isn't at work in this world, look around. If you think God is not providing for you, take a look around. If you think you don't have a reason to be thankful to God, you're not paying attention. So Jesus is saying, start paying attention. Take a look at the birds. Look how God protects them. You don't think he's going to protect you? So we need to get in the habit of paying closer attention. Because on Thursday, we're going to get together with friends and family, and we're going to concentrate, and we're going to think about all the things that we have. And then on Friday, we're going to start thinking about all the things that we want. (laughs) And we'll probably spend a little more time thinking about the things that we want than the things that we have. But I think Charles Dickens was right. Thanksgiving shouldn't be shut up into one day. This morning, I want to take a look at what the Bible has to say, a little bit of what the Bible has to say about being thankful every day. And here's one thing about Thanksgiving that that the Bible is clear on. It's God's will that we grow in the frequency of gratitude. If we were to get together and just sit down and read all the passages of Scripture that talks about being grateful, you would be amazed how many verses there are, and how much of the text talks about being thankful and being grateful to God. Let me just share with you one of my very favorites in Colossians chapter 2. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and draw up nourishment from Him so that you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all that he has done. You can't read the Bible, Old Testament or New, without seeing the importance of the the place in your Jesus journey of gratitude, of letting our lives overflow with thanksgiving for all that he has done. I'm sure you all have heard this story, and I suspect I've probably told it myself But I'm going to tell it again about the man who decided he wanted to become a monk. And so he joined a monastery and was told he had to take a a vow of silence. And he agreed to that. And he doesn't say a word for three years. And at the end of three years, the head monk comes and says, every three years, we allow our monks to say two words. What are your two words? And the man said, food's cold. (laughs) And he went back to his duties. Three more years go by, and the head monk comes and says, you are allowed now to speak two more words. What are your two words? And he said, bed's hard. And he goes back to his duties. Three years go by, and the head monk comes and says, you're allowed to speak three words now. You've been here nine years. What are your two words? And he said, I quit. And the head monk said, that doesn't surprise me. You've done nothing but complain since the minute you got here. (laughs) Now, some people are like that, right? They just excel at complaining. They are so good at grumbling. Aren't they fun to be around? But as Christians, we are called to overflow with thankfulness. We are called to overflow with thanksgiving. So my question is, how often do you overflow with thanksgiving? Or maybe the better question is, How do I get to a point in my life where I am overflowing with thanksgiving? And I'll go ahead and tell you something that makes perfect sense, and you all realize it. But you don't overflow with something unless it's already there. A bucket doesn't overflow with water unless there's already water in the bucket. 
Our hearts aren't going to overflow with thanksgiving unless there's already thanksgiving in our heart. So how do we fill ourselves with thanksgiving? And I'll give you a couple ways. In this first way, I'm going to admit to you, isn't the most glamorous, and it's not the most poetic, but it is pretty important. And that is, we train for it. We discipline ourselves to be more thankful. Researchers have proven what you parents already know. Gratitude does not come naturally. We teach our children gratitude, right? There's been tons of research done on this. I, I looked at one study that was done with thousands of families, about families teaching their children good manners. And what the research found was that when children are not prompted, when they're just on their own, they will say hello about 26% of the time, unprompted. They will say goodbye to someone about 24% of the time. But when children are unprompted, they will say thank you 6% of the time. And of course, you parents know that's true. We're not even to Thanksgiving yet, and you're already telling your children, whatever grandma gives you for Christmas, you say thank you, right? <laughs> whatever it is, what do you say? You know the pink bunny suit, what do you say? <laughs> we teach our children to be grateful. In fact, they learn that, I think, probably before they really understand what it all means. Or, to put it another way, the words precede the feeling. Based on research, learning to be grateful is one of the steepest learning curves for a child. But I don't think it's true just for children. I think it's hard for us to learn to be grateful as well. Because the natural trajectory is toward ungratefulness. Let me share with you a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's talking about the last days, and he says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. We say, yeah, that's terrible. That's what the bad people are going to do. Absolutely. Disobedient to their parents. Okay, did not see that coming. But then notice what he says next ungrateful. Why would Paul include ungrateful with all of those scandalous sins? People are going to be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't it interesting that Paul includes ungrateful there with that list of, again, scandalous sins. And yet, it makes perfect sense. Because ingratitude so often leads to destructive behavior. When we find ourselves not thanking God, not thanking others, we turn inward. And that's not a good place to turn. So there's something to be said for growing in the frequency of, of gratitude. There's also something to be said for growing in the tenacity of gratitude. And here's what I mean by that. The definition of tenacity is the dogged determination to continue what you're doing, to hold fast, to be persistent. You know, we talk about a football team that has a tenacious defense, which was not Florida last night, but some football teams have a tenacious defense. 
We talk about people who are tenacious in their, you know, their search of an of a, of a answer or a search of a goal. There's something to be said about being tenacious in gratitude, to hold fast, to be persistent, to doggedly continue what you're doing. God calls us to be tenacious with about gratitude. We're all familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We are commanded to give thanks in all circumstances. And if you are learning to give thanks in all circumstances, then you are learning to be tenacious in gratitude. And you notice that Paul here says, he's not saying be thankful for all circumstances. What he's saying is, be thankful in all circumstances. So that's not to say that we ignore the sad or the hurtful times in our lives. It's not to say that we, we don't doubt sometimes. It's not to say that we don't grieve sometimes. It's not to say that we don't have questions for God sometimes. There's a time and a place for all of that. It's simply to say that in the middle of all that, we need to be looking for a blessing. And we need to be looking for a blesser. You know, how do you know if you're growing in tenacity, in your, in your thankfulness? If you're able to give thanks in all circumstances, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good indicator. Which leads me to another aspect of godly gratitude. Thanksgiving is a choice. It's not a feeling. You know, there, there's so many places in Scripture that we can go to and, and read about the, our need to be thankful and grateful. And we read those, I read those, and I start thinking, I don't know, maybe you do too, but I start thinking, but what about those times when I just don't feel thankful? You know, I, I just don't feel like giving thanks. And I'm going to make a statement, and some of you are going to disagree with this statement, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I've spent a lot of time kind of digging on this, and I'm going to stand by this statement. I can't find anywhere in the New Testament where we are commanded to feel something. Now, you might say, we're commanded to love. That's a feeling. I'll argue that it's not. I'll argue that it's a decision more than it is a feeling. But I can't find anywhere in Scripture where we are commanded to feel something. Again, I'm probably splitting hairs here, but I think it's important. Scripture doesn't command us to feel a certain way about something. So don't beat yourself up if you don't feel thankful sometimes. Actions are commanded. Feelings aren't. Uh, I'm not responsible, and I think God knows this, I'm not responsible for the way I feel in a moment. I am completely responsible for what I do in that moment and how I respond to that moment. But God knows that I have more control over my actions than I have over my feelings. And the good news is, I don't have to feel thankful in order to be thankful. In fact, I think we usually get it backwards. I think we get the order wrong. Feeling thankful doesn't have to come before being thankful. The feeling of thankfulness follows the giving of thanks. Because if I'm waiting until I feel thankful, I might wait a long time before I tell God or anyone else, thank you. And I'll go back to my parenting example. 
You know, as a parent, I didn't really care if my kids felt like saying thank you or not. I didn't really care if they were grateful. I just wanted them to learn to say it. Because I knew if they learned to have a thankful spirit, the feeling would follow. We're responsible for our actions. So make the choice and trust God not to leave your heart behind. Giving thanks is a choice, not a feeling. And then finally, thanksgiving isn't for when and then. It's for here and now. No, too many times we decide, I'll be thankful when this happens. Or I'll be thankful if these things fall into place. Too often our thankfulness is tied to a result. And it's exhibited as a response to something good happening to me. But godly gratitude is an awareness, again, of what's going on in my life right here, right now. Look at the birds. Pay attention. What's God doing in your life right here, right now? You know, we're familiar with the old saying, you never know what you have until it's gone. I don't think that's true. Makes for a good country song, okay? But I think it's a myth. I think you can absolutely know what you have before it's gone, and you can be thankful for it. I'm a firm believer that right here, right now, these really are the good old days. We are living in the good old days. Some of you are rolling your eyes right now. I can see you. <laughs> but trust me, these are the good old days. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. Don't long for the good old days, for you don't know whether they were any better than today. Isn't that the truth? And yet, so often, we find ourselves longing for the good old days. I am old enough. I have lived through what people call the good old days. I grew up in the 70s. They weren't that good. <laughs> they, they just weren't. And all the old people in the 70s were talking about how life was so great in the 40s. I'm telling you, we are living in the good old days because God is here, God is alive, and God is at work right here, right now. And I think it is possible to know what you have when you have it. And no, that doesn't mean we stop working toward a goal and then doesn't mean we stop trying to grow and, and to mature. It just means we slow down. We pay attention. We look around us. And we tell God, thank you for what you're doing right here, right now. And I'll tell you something else about gratitude that Scripture teaches us. We need to be grateful even when it seems like we don't have enough to be grateful for. I'll remind you of the one miracle that's listed in all four Gospels. Jesus feeds the crowd of 5,000. In Mark's account... Mark tells us that it was toward the end of the day, that, that day that Jesus is preaching to this huge crowd, and Jesus tells his disciples, these people are hungry, you need to feed them. And the disciples say, we can't. Jesus, you know we don't have any money. And even if we did have money, we would never be able to buy food for all of these people. But there was a little boy, remember? who had just enough food to feed a little boy. 
And that little boy in his just enough food are brought to Jesus, five loaves of bread, two small fish. And remember what Jesus does? He performs a miracle. That's not the first thing he does. Look at Mark chapter 6. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Mark goes on, of course, and tells us they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. A lot of times we want to wait till after the miracle before we're going to give thanks. We wait till after God steps in before we express our gratitude. Even if what we have doesn't seem like enough, even if what you have right now doesn't seem like enough for the challenge that you're facing, listen, this is really important. Even if what you have right now, as far as talent, doesn't seem like enough for the challenge that you're facing. Even if what you have as far as money doesn't seem like nearly enough for the financial challenge that you're facing. Even if what you have as far as wisdom and, and understanding doesn't seem like nearly enough as far as the challenge that you're facing, you stop and you thank God for it. And then you go to work. And you see what God does with your not quite enough. Because when we give what we have to Jesus, sometimes it's a lot more than we realize. When Jesus is in the picture, there's always more. You always have more than you think you have. We need to realize that. We need to be thankful. I want to share with you a picture that you should recognize. I'm sure almost all of you recognize that picture. It's actually not a painting. That, that was a black and white photograph. It was taken by a photographer named Eric Enstrom in Bovee, Minnesota in 1918. And it wasn't until like 30 years later that his daughter painted it in and colorized it. The man in the picture is Charles Wilden. Charles Wilden lived in Bovee, Minnesota. Um, he had a very uh, meager lifestyle. His job was going door-to-door -door selling boot scrapers. And he stopped at Eric Enstrom's door one day to try to sell a boot scraper, and the photographer asked if he could take his picture. And he invited him in, and he set him down at a table, and he put a loaf of bread there and a bowl of something and a, and a Bible. And he asked the man, would you bow your head as if you're in prayer? And he took his picture. It has become one of the most recognizable pictures of the 20th century. We had that picture hanging in my house when I was a little boy. And Eric Enstrom titled that picture, Grace. You can Google Grace photograph. That's what comes up. And it didn't take long before he realized that he struck a nerve with people. And people saw that photograph, and, and they wanted a copy of it. And he started selling copies of that photograph, Grace. Hundreds of thousands of copies of that picture have been sold. For the past 25 years, it's been in the public domain. But it still, it still is one of the most recognizable pictures of the 20th century. Shortly after he took that photograph, and we learned that so many people wanted a copy of that photograph, Eric Enstrom attached a, a prayer 
with each copy of the picture that he sold. Let me share with you the prayer that the photographer attached to each copy. Lord, there may be many homes that are larger than mine. There may be tables groaning with food and drink in abundance. There may be riches in supplies and appointments. There may be conveniences on every hand, and there may be physical assurance that tomorrow will bring still more. But Lord, you have been with me unto this and supplied my every need. On that assurance, I rest my belief that you will bless my efforts if I apply them to the best of my ability to carry on. For what I have, I am thankful. That was the message that the photographer attached to every copy of that picture that he sold. For, that which, for, for all that I have, I am thankful. I think of all that I have. And I've told you this before. I know I was born on third base. I get that. I think of the tsunami of blessings that I have been blessed with since the day I was born. The family that I was born into. The fact that I was born in America. To to, to, to parents who, who loved God. I think of the tsunami of blessings that I've been buried in since the day I was born again. A soul that was saved. A life that's been redeemed. For what I have... I am thankful. And I want you to pay attention to what you have as well. Of all the things that we list on our list of blessings, I don't know about your family, usually my family, we go around the Thanksgiving meal and table and we say, you know, what are you, what are you thankful for? And we'll all have different things that we're thankful for. But we'll all have the same number one at the top of our list, and that's Jesus. Our greatest blessing is Jesus. So this morning, I want to be sure that we remember that. Uh, We're going to do something uh, together this morning. Um, I want you to stand up. You won't be standing long, trust me. And together, I want us to read 2 Corinthians 9.15 Three times, okay? And remember, if you keep it inside, it's thanks-holding. It's only thanks-giving if you let it go, okay? So let's, let's read this together three times. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Pretty good, but we're going to do it one more time, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to smile when you say it, okay? And I want you to say it with joy in your heart, okay? Let's try. Here we go. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You think you're not blessed? You think you have nothing to be thankful for today? We have been given an indescribable gift. As followers of Jesus, our gift is a relationship with God. This morning, we're getting ready to sing a song. I want you to consider what your response to that indescribable gift is. And for some of you, it might be baptism. Maybe you've never taken that step. You need to make that response.
For some of you, you might need to repent of something that you've done, something that you've said, an attitude that you've had. Maybe you need to tell somebody that you're sorry. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you need the prayers of people who love you. Or maybe you just don't want to wait four days before you tell God, thank you for your indescribable gift. It's changed my life. Let's go ahead and sing a song.